This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. I think um, we, we all challenge in this time with COVID and with a lot of stuff. The, the Lord is allowing COVID um, to shake our paradigm, our comfort zone, our whole way of living and thinking. And, and maybe I can suggest to you that it will take a bit longer than what we think. It's not just going to blow over. Uh, the Lord will even allow it for as long as the church does not wake up to the reality of where we are living in the time we're living in. And so there's definitely a wake-up call, but I, I think a lot of Christians are a bit fatigued, you know, sort of like, uh, you know, sort of an in-between thing in your life. And uh, this is the time for you and I to say, Lord, why am, am I actually here? What's, what's happening in my life? What are you doing um, so that you don't just go blindly through this life, but there's actually a purpose for us together. And we've been talking a lot about these things over the past couple of weeks. And so uh, last Sunday night, I was sharing on some of these principles. So I'm not going to go into all of them again. I think the slides, they're putting it onto the info group. But there's a group of guys in, um, in the Old Testament, for, uh, Daniel and his friends. And I want to read you in Daniel 1. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it does not return void to you as we submit to your word. We thank you for life and life in abundance. We just bless you for the privilege we have, Lord, to gather in Jesus' name. Daniel 1 verse 1, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. And then the king instructed Ashpena, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish but good-looking but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and to them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave the, Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. We know the story of Daniel. We know the lion's den. And, and yet it's almost like this, this pressure, this culture of this king coming, taking this group of people in Judah, especially captive. Now they're searching for these couple of guys and they get them. And now for three years, they train them in the literature, the language. They actually give these guys names of the gods of this king. And so you must imagine the pressure, the cultural pressure, the challenges for these guys just to conform, just to like, let go of everything and just to say like, hey, we are in the king's palace, all these delicacies, all this stuff. And we, we see Daniel and many people like him in the Old Testament, the Daniels, the Esthers, the Josephs, 
the Jeremiahs that never compromised in their culture or the time they were living. That's the story of God calling people out uh, to live a lifestyle that's different. So Daniel, he served three politic political regimes. He even uh, fought for the, the pagan philosophers not to be killed when the dream was interpreted. There was a volatile king un under which he served. He served as a statesman. He culturally engaged. He devoted himself to God, and he never compromised. You can read all of this stuff. But uh, it, is, it is so crazy that we think when we read these stories of the Old Testament, we think like, ah, oh, you know, that's, that's, like, that's like it, you know. But even if you come to a school like this one, you know the coolest thing is to be an agnostic now, not a Christian. You're actually frowned upon when you're a Christian in most South African schools now. The pressure on our young people is enormous. But we have not realized many times that even in our day, in the culture that we live in, we are being bombarded with a lot of stuff that wants us to conform to the patterns of this world. And so typically that's the story of God calling a group of people out. And we're talking about being, having missional relationships, intentional relationships. We can't just play church, church anymore. But the one thing that we can start with and I want to share with us is like every person in the Bible that did something for God, it always started with an encounter with God. You know, just trying to change culture, trying to go out there, trying to be a nice, good person will not change your life. Every person that was called by God to do something significant for him. And I don't say like, hey, you must now be the statesman and do, maybe it's just to be a housewife. That's significant. Did you know that? <laughs> to raise up children. It's very spiritual. To be an attorney in the workplace today, it's very spiritual. We cannot differ the sacred from the, the vocational job we have. You can't switch God off tomorrow morning. Amen. <laughs> you know, more and more Christians are realizing like, hey, that's my ministry field. It's in my workplace tomorrow. But there you're going to be challenged to live your Christian lifestyle. And isn't it just like this? Imagine you even getting a name of a God <laughs> of the world that you lived in. So, so the pressure on these guys was enormous, but they had an encounter with God because we see these words, you know. Daniel says, oh, he purposed in his heart. He, he, there, were, there were certain things that was just a no-go. He just realized like, hey, he wants to serve God. So the picture we have here is this Babylonian system, and almost we're living in those times again. What is the, the Babylon that da Daniel lived in? It was a culture set against the purposes of God, a human society that glories. Next, just the next slide, please. A culture set against the purposes of God, a human society that glories in pride, power, prestige, and pleasure. Just, just, just think, is it, is it the same today? <laughs> pride, power, prestige, and pleasure. Men will be lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. So, so the, the first thing that is so important is even when it comes to church, even when it comes to small group, we need to pray and say, Father, we want people to encounter you. The presence of God, the power of God will change people's lives. Will you say amen? Okay. So um, we can't play church, church anymore with especially young people. You know, today you need to be vulnerable, you need to be real, you need to be authentic, but more than ever, they want 
to know the presence of God? Is it real and how does it work for you? And so parents, when you want to raise up your children in the ways of God, please don't be religious. Be real. Share your weaknesses. Share the stuff you're suffering with. Don't have a dual lifestyle with your kids because children today, their discernment levels is high, very high because every day they're bombarded with how many images, how many stuff coming and they can actually discern. They can see from a mile within three minutes they will realize whether you're real or whether you're fake. So please, around your children, around younger generations, don't be fake. <laughs> don't pretend. They, they see straight through you, you know. And so, so that's part of the way, uh, way how we're going to reach the next generation is to be real and to love God with all of our hearts, to encounter God. Because more than ever, people are hungry not for religion, but for who God really is. Um, we've seen the past couple of two or three months, more than 300 young people joined the church, and they are so hungry. I, I cannot tell you what other level of hunger and thirst for who God is, is in people's lives. They're praying on campus, they're reaching out over lunch, and we're not orchestrating it. It's not like the church says, come together on a Friday afternoon and go and pray for the sick on the campus. They're just doing it themselves. They're just saying, hey, this is what the Bible says, and we're not going to wait for the older people to wake up. That's really what they say, <laughs> yeah? And that's why I want to encourage, if you are older, it's time that we become fathers and mothers and we live that example to them of the encounters we've had with God. Isn't that what mentorship is about? It's about reflecting of what God has done, but then telling people where God is going through your own life. But we're talking about missional relationships. And um, so what does it look like if you and I begin to turn away from just having a nice time or happiness in our relationship, the pursuit of happiness? And we turn towards like, hey, God has actually placed us together in our marriages, in our small groups, in our relationships. As a church, He's placed us together to be missional. And if you don't know that, that's why we call it the Great Commission. You have been sent on a mission. Even in your marriage, then it's always going to be like give and take, give and take, who's best, who's not, what did you do, what did I do? But if you become missional, what begins to happen is suddenly you realize like, wow, we're following Christ. We're Christ followers. And I, I just want to share some thoughts on that. The first thing that missional relationship does, it's always a learning and a growing community. It learns and grows together, and the authority of the Bible is our ultimate authority. You know, today with gender fluidity, with all this stuff, uh, people think like, wow, you know, it's, it's not here. But one out of five people, young people today, struggle with their gender identity. One out of five. Because they're bombarded with cultural isms and with stuff that changes them. But... We need to know, and this is, I love this, this actually comes out of a, a book from the Bonner Group. It says, the ability to compare the beliefs, values, customs, and creations of the world we live in to the world we belong to. It's called the biblical worldview. We have to, like, the way you see the world, the way you see this kingdom is the glasses that you have on every day. And you need to realize, like, hey, maybe, Mariette said it last week as well, maybe, we need to ask what is cultural and what is biblical. Because there's a lot of stuff that is just cultural, it's not biblical. 
what is the norm? That's the thing we've been asking this whole year. What does it mean to live normal Christianity? Hello, are, are you with me? <laughs> Thank you for your enthusiasm. Because we need people that can reach our world, but you need, we need critical thinkers. And that's what Daniel, the Bible says, Daniel was 10 times more intelligent than the people around him. Because the Holy Spirit actually wants to help you in your workplace as well. He wants to give you ideas when you're an engineer. He wants to, he wants to show you stuff that will physically, emotionally, and spiritually change the world around you. The first people that were spirit-filled in the Bible, do you know what they were, what they were filled with the spirit for? was to make artifacts. <laughs> it wasn't to prophesy. <laughs> it was actually to in the sphere of influence where God has placed them to make a massive difference. So please don't shut off the working of the Holy Spirit when it comes to your job tomorrow. <laughs> because hey, even there, you are missional and you need to learn, you need to grow, you need to be teachable. Isn't that the, sort of a part of humility that we remain teachable? You know, there's a, there's a massive move in America uh, for a lot of people to go back to hyper-Calvinism and reform theology because of intellectual stuff. It on, it's only with white young men. It's amazing that ladies don't fall for that type of stuff, you know, because ladies have a nurturing side. And so you can't ever tell, you know, the predestination, all of us have heard those deep theologies around that stuff. But if you tell a mom who has five kids that God created two to go to hell and three to heaven, she won't budge that. Would you agree with me? <laughs> you know, just ask any mom. And mom has got a nurturing side in the image of God. So I'm just knocking a bit of the lies and it's also creeping up here in our town, you know. God is an angry God. God is like, you know, lots of people want to go back. Why? Because it controls. If you can have a distant relationship with God, you can control the outcome. You and I then control God. And isn't it true that many times we do that? We say, oh God, you must do this. You must, we tell him what he must do, when he must do it, and how he must do it. <laughs> Who's in control? I think most of our prayers should rather be, Lord, here am I, take my life, I surrender, and I don't know how to do it. Help! <laughs> That's the most spiritual prayers you can pray. Can, can I get an amen? <laughs> okay? But let's be careful not in our theology to control God. We need to learn. We need to grow. And even when you're 80 years old, you know, I'm married 53 years, and just this week I saw like, wow, you know, they're still learning stuff of each other. But see, when we stop growing, we become familiar. And familiarity is a massive challenge with God and with each other. The second thing that uh, a missional relationships and a missional church does is we become a holy people. We realize that we've been set apart for God. We're different than the world. And the question is, is how are you different and how am I different than the world we live in? How is your attorney job different than the rest of the attorneys in your, or do you also like use the same language and speak about women in the same way and speak about those in the same way? Or is, it, is there something different when you cycle in the cycling club? It is, it is so amazing because we are holy, we're different. We've been set apart for God and set apart from the world. That's what holiness means. 
Set, set apart unto God is to serve Him, to love Him. So we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We're His own special people. And so that's the call, is the call for a holy people to come out of the world. You know, isn't that amazing when God calls Abraham, whoever He calls, He says, come out of the Ur of the Chaldeans. Come out of the place where you are stuck, you know. He doesn't tell him where to. I don't know if you like that, but I will always ask, if God would call me to go out, I would say like, oh Lord, um, give me the five steps. <laughs> you know? Give me the seven-year plan. You know? And God doesn't do that. He just calls you out. He says, come out because where you are, I cannot bless you. God cannot bless you in your comfort zone. And he's not interested in your comfort zone or my comfort zone. Because your comfort zone will speak to you more than what God speaks to you. Whoa. <laughs> That's a bit tough. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, so here we go. The, the third thing that missional people do is we sacrificially serve. I love this. Probably the story that we all, all know in Daniel 3 verse 17 to 18. This is now... It's the showdown between the three friends of Daniel, the king, the fiery furnace, and they're heating up the fiery furnace in such a way that the guys who throw people in, or have to throw them, they burn to death. So it's, it's really hot, hot, uh, dead hot, okay? It's, it's the worst hot you can get, you know? And so I can just imagine the scenery, and so everyone must bow to the idols of the day, everybody must bow to the idols of fear, uh, everybody must bow to the things, the, what people say, you know. But listen to what they say in Daniel 3. It says, if that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Now, this is what they're saying to the king, the most powerful person around. They say, you know, our God, he will, he will save us. But if not, if he does not save us, let it be known to you, O king that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Sure. Now that's easy to say to your friends, but if you're standing and the most powerful man in the world stands before you, you've been trained three years in his culture, you have names of his gods, this guy can literally do anything and, and, and look at the boldness. Because they see how big their God is. And if you and I don't know how big God is, then we're always going to conform to the things around us. We're always going to listen to the opinion of people. We're always going to look at the Goliaths in our lives, or we're going to always look at like, wow, you know, like the spies that went into the promised land. They were like, hey, you know, look at these giants, but we're like grasshoppers in their eyes. But Joshua and Caleb said like, no, this is the land flowing with milk and honey, the land of opportunity. <laughs> It all depends. They all looked at the same land with the same eyes, but some looked through fear. Some's perspective was fear, and the others was God is good and God is great. And we serve a God that is almighty. You see, um, if I would go around and I would ask an honest question this morning, how many of us in this room have lost hope for our nation? It would be very interesting to probably see that more than 70% doesn't believe this nation can turn around. If I would say, how many of you, if I give you a free ticket to go to another European nation now for free, 
you would not even pray about it. You just run. Oh, the Lord has provided. Here I go. <laughs> you know? But see, that is many times the barometer of whether we have a hope or not hope. Because God has placed you here on a mission in South Africa. And you don't go until God told you to go. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to be the most frustrated, irritated person around because, hey, nothing is going to work for you. You can, you know, we've all been in Europe and everything works. The train comes at the second at the station. But you know how dead it is spiritually in Europe? Come on, some people here from Europe, huh? Europe is the dark continent, but everybody wants to move there, you know? But we sacrificially serve. Now, this is a massive challenge in the context of reaching the next generation. The big word is entitlement. Okay? Everyone that's older, now in the other service, there are a lot of, all the older um, small groups have been assigned to that service. So there's a lot of gray hair. If you look out over that service, it's just gray hair everywhere. It's beautiful. But if you ask older people and you say, like, what do you think about the next generation? Most of the older people would say, like, they're lazy. They can't take responsibility. They, like, don't want to work for anything. How many of you think like that a little bit? Okay, we all think, like, wow, you know, just entitled. The next younger generation. Do you know whose problem it is? It's our problem. Because we raise up kids that are always the most amazing Everyone deserves a trophy. They're just the best, even though they are not. Because Scripture says we're all sinners, and there's not one good person on the earth. But we raise our kids up, oh, you're the best. This is the most amazing. Oh, you just do your best, and we give everyone a trophy. You know, they're the trophy kids. <laughs> we helicopter parents our kids, and then we blame them for being entitled one day. Because we actually build our houses around our children and not around the purposes of God. It's not their fault. It's our fault. Is this, is this a bit hard? But I want to encourage you. Let your kids make mistakes. Let them grow up. Let them take responsibility. Don't helicopter them. Don't put their sandwiches in every day. Don't let them get chores around the house. Let them... Take responsibility for their lives and let them go. They don't belong to you in any case. Woo! But when that kid comes, do you know what? We actually begin to worship our children. It's tough, but I'm, I'm speaking the truth because we, we're either going to be raising up a generation of God-fearers and worshipers or they become the center of our households and kids should not be the center of your household. Sorry, God should be. And obedience to him. Can I get an amen, please? <laughs> Some people are staring at me, but I'm just trusting the conviction will come a little bit, you know? God-fearing people. But, but we tell all our children, hey, you're just amazing. Every little mm and ah oh is just like the most amazing thing. And, oh, you know, but we should teach our kids, do you know what? Life is hard, life is tough, and you're not always going to come first. Make a peace with it. But there's a greater authority we can submit to. It's to serve God. It's to love God because he's going to show you your identity. And even when you suffer, even when it's tough, we as parents, we're going to love you unconditionally. But you know what? There's also consequences for your sins. And if we don't train uh, implicit obedience to our kids, 
then we train them up to ex respond exactly in the same way to God. Because, the, you know, I was checking, one of my children said, like, hey, go and do this. And then half an hour later, no, still not doing it. Half an hour later, still not doing that. And I was thinking, like, yo, that's my fault. Because do you know what? I don't train them, like, be obedient. And now when it comes to the things of God... We want to fast about it for three weeks. We want to think about it for three years. And eventually that three years become 30 years. And then we become the most disobedient group. Teach your children obedience to God. And it is tough because hey, children don't know discipline anymore. But you know what scriptures say about discipline. I mean, not abuse, but about discipline. So it's getting very quiet. We're just talking about a missional calling in your life, my life, in our families, in this community that we live in. The fourth thing is to live a Christ and gospel-centered life. The gospel as a center of your life. We live for the gospel. We don't live for doctrine. We don't live for the church. We live because the gospel is the center of why we're here on a mission. And what does this gospel do? It redeems people. It saves people. It restores the world. It reconciles the world to God. And this gospel says that God is always at work. God is always at work. This gospel is followed with miracles. It's the endorsement from heaven, signs and wonders that the gospel works. Healing, salvation, deliverance. The freedom of God. That's why Jesus came. If your gospel has got no miracles in sorry, it's not the gospel. It's not the good news of Christ. Because there's the fullness of God that manifests in your life. There's the testimony, the evidence, the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. And it is just so amazing every day when you and I begin to live in that space. We say, God, I'm so dependent on you. I need miracles in my life. If you don't need a miracle, sorry, then maybe you're just in a happy place. But God is stirring up a group of people that say, like, Lord, more than ever in our nation, we need miracles. More than ever in the schools, we need you to move and to, to say and to release yourself and show yourself and stretch out your arm and heal and touch and deliver. And God is doing that. And you and I can say, yes, Lord, to that. Will you turn to your neighbor and say, hey, hey. He's talking about you. Great stuff. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <clears> to <throat> give you six statements, and I want you to identify one of them, and, and you're going to sort of work out a bit of an action plan around them or just think of what, what is one of the challenges for you personally. So six statements. And um, I'm going to explain each one just quickly. The first one is when, if we want to be missional, if we want to live out these principles in our lives, then we need to start moving away from doing things for God, doing a lot of things, a lot of distractions in our lives to first be present with God, and then also to be present with one another. We're going to need to fight to be present with our children because of this. My, my son is in grade 8, and so he had a sleepover with a couple of guys. 
and they slept on the trampoline outside the that thing, you know, Friday night. And I was shocked. Six of them, you know, in the bitter cold, sleeping outside. But most of the time they spent their time on this. I asked them at a stage, are, are you sending each other messages? Or... And I'm thinking like, this is the fun outdoor evening. <laughs> Most of the time he's locked up in four walls of the cell phone. You see, if we're not going to be present with God, we just get distracted. And that's what's so beautiful about Daniel and his friends. They were present with God. They were they purposed in their heart. They devoted themselves to God, even in the midst of a cultural conformity of a nation taking over the principles of God. So even in the church, we need to be present with each other. We need to make time in our relationships. And the second thing maybe to break that relationship in your life is to invite people to your dinner table. If we don't invite people into our lives. Now, there's a, a beautiful couple. They're not here this morning, Vernon and Himna. Now, Vernon is one of the top cancer doctors in specialists in South Africa, probably the top one. Every Friday night, they invite 60 young people, make food for them, and they have a blessing evening. They just pray over them, trust God for words for them. They've learned long ago to open up their homes to young people. And you must hear the testimonies of their lives first changing because they're living missional. And this is one of the most busy people in the church. <laughs> and they're small group leaders. But they've decided to live differently. To say, hey, this marriage, this life of ours, we want it to be a blessing to others. We're going to be missional. And so I want to challenge each one of you, invite somebody, just walk up to somebody once a month in church that you don't know and say, hey, I want to invite you for dinner. We as a family want to invite you. No, no, but the church didn't assign me to a small group with them. No, no, the richness of us sitting here, you know, it's just, it's beautiful to be part of a church, you know. There are older people, younger people, there are pink, blue, brown, every kind of person in this church. And there's such a richness to invite people that are different than you into your life or that you don't know. You know, there are Russians here and Ukrainians here. And, and, and just say like, hey, this is an opportunity for me to grow. This is an opportunity for me to understand the context of how they experience the gospel and the challenge that they face, you know. Otherwise, we don't break down the walls between communities or between each other because, hey, we just live more in our comfort zone, more into a space where I'm comfortable. But to engage people, and that's an amazing place where you teach your children to engage with other people. To be hospitable, to open up their lives, say, hey, we are welcoming as a family, we're welcoming these 10 people on a Friday night, and we're going to make effort, we're going to bless them, we're going to pray for them, we're going to wash their feet, we're going to... We're going to serve others that we won't necessarily do because it's not Oma and Opa coming. It's a group of other people. Then 
the third thing that's a challenge, maybe that's applicable to you, so you're going to choose one and quickly talk through that, is don't have a sacred secular divide. We are all the priesthood of the believers. That means like when you are tomorrow working in your workplace, it's just as spiritual as me preaching here today. There's not a divide between it. There's not one function that is more spiritual than the other. So the pastor, he's like the superhero in the church, and only he can pray, you know. Only he can lay hands on people. No, you lay hands on people, you know. I love, we shared a video of Alva and the guy in the wheelchair, you know. Um, that's a member here. He's doing the Ironman today. Um, they're in Durban, drove up. But no, he's not just doing the Ironman. They're actually doing a ministry trip, him and Ulrich, when they come back. Ulrich is a worship leader here. And he has this video of where he lays hands on this guy where he went to change his tires for the trip. I don't know if you saw it, but it's beautiful. So he, this guy comes, he, can't, he was in a car accident or a motorcycle accident. He can't lift his hand. And so Ovin prays for him. He sort of lifts, do a horse mask, and then Ovin prays again. And eventually this guy lifts his hands like, he's like, Whoa, what just happened? You know, that's just an ordinary changing of the tire, you know. Because, hey, we, we're all believers. We're all fo following God. What an exciting thing. There, God is going to give you an opportunity. I believe every believer has got at least one divine opportunity per day to minister to somebody. At least one. God will send somebody over your path every day that you can love. You can just pray for them. You don't need to have a word of knowledge for them, but to serve them, to love them. So, the fourth thing. Safety or security, happiness and comfort are not kingdom values. We teach our children safety and security. We make that as if that's valuable to God, safety and security. But when I read scripture, I don't see a lot of God promising, promising people safety and security. Just asking a question. Come, quote those scriptures to me. Oh, I've got plans to prosper you and to give you a future. Jeremiah 29. Yeah? But you know in what context? It's when God takes them in exile for 50 years. He says, hey, I've got plans, to, I've got plans for you. And he sends them for 50 years into slavery. Please don't quote that scripture around me. I don't want to go into slavery for 50 years. Yeah? But it's amazing. I don't know if you've had these bread little promises. I think like if you take most of those promises in context, it's like when the Israelites are already in slavery. You know? <laughs> They're already oppressed. <laughs> but stop training our children up in safety and security because then they'll never take a risk for God. They'll never step out of the boat. They'll never learn to grow in their own faith. But we, we, we tell them, oh, just be safe. Just, just be secure. Oh, just, and I'm, I'm not talking about, hey, being careful, we live in a nation where things are tough. But safety and security in, in the way we live, you know. Oh, no, don't do this, don't do that, you know. The children want to play outside. Oh, be careful for this. Oh, be careful for this. Oh, be careful for this. Oh, don't do that. And eventually, they never step out of the boat for God. Because we've conditioned them to be safe. 
Everybody's like, very quiet. Okay, the repentance session will happen afterwards. Okay. Okay, fifth one. Creating meaningful relationships in the church can't be simply about encouragement and positivity. Meaningful relationships often arise out of difficult disagreements along our journey together. Part of being vulnerable is sticking around long enough to work them out. We want to create fellowship around positivity and encouragement. I have some friends in Indonesia. Do you know what they do for accountability? They sit each other around the table and then they tell each other how bad the other, that person is. You just have to sit and then five of your friends tell you how bad you are, all the weaknesses that you have, how you must grow in the Lord, you know? If we do that in the West, most people will, oh, I'm offended with this church. I'm not accountable anymore, you know? <laughs> because somewhere we think that we actually, in essence, we are these good superheroes for God and actually we're nothing. Isn't that what scriptures say? But when we are challenged to grow together, be vulnerable in our relationships, it's not just about, hey, be happy or be positive. It's actually, hey, it's tough, but I'm going to stick with you. I'm going to bear your burdens with you. But you need to walk through them. And then the last one is where I commit to build together, not to criticize, not to break down, not to always see what's wrong, but to build together. Because we have a vision, we have real people, messy people that makes mistakes, that's, it's fine to disagree even if our doctrines disagree, we love fervently, we honor God, we honor each other, but we're all building together like Nehemiah told every family, build and fight, build and fight, pray and build, pray and build. My question is, where are you building? Where am I building? Or are we in a comfort zone where we just become critical of everything that's wrong around us? And God says, hey, you're on a mission. You're just passing through. This is not your home. There's another home. Do you know that Jesus is building right now? Jesus is building a house and he's interceding. He's building and he's fighting for you. You as a Christian, I as a Christian, we don't have any other option but to enter into the yoke of Christ. Build and fight. Build and pray. Build and pray. So your prayer life is where you get into the engine room of Christianity. Your prayer life is where you call upon God for the impossible. For your nation and for the schools. So you're talking a lot about children and schools and the next generation. But it's on a tipping point. This next generation, we will lose this next generation if the church does not wake up and become missional. So when you drive into the school, please pray. Drive around. Every time I come, I don't come into the main gate. I will come to the other gate and I walk around. I say, Father, touch these kids. Raise up leaders. When I drive around campus, I'm not just going for shopping. I drive around the campus and I say, Father, we need a miracle here. This campus has become more liberal more conforming to the agendas of this world. But Father, raise up a generation of Daniels and Josephs and Esthers. And they're starting to come to that place. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share. Sing.